Hey there. Lori Todd calls herself the insurance warrior. She says she has fought and won more than 200 appeals, life or death cases. And the first appeal she won was her own. So the story starts with a medical nightmare, of course. Lori was in her mid-50s, working as a massage therapist. She was in good shape. And then... I started to feel really exhausted. I mean, so exhausted that you fall asleep in your chair. Her doctor ran a bunch of tests, didn't find anything weird. She said, you have nothing to worry about. You're the healthiest 55-year-old on the planet. But Lori kept feeling worse. A few months later, she went back to the doctor's office, and she could tell the nurses were freaked out the second they put their hands on her enlarged abdomen. They ordered an emergency CT scan, told her to come back the next day. She did. And the doctor, the first thing she did was to push a box of Kleenex across the desk. That's how you know. The doc says cancer. Maybe she's got a few months to live. So I went home. And I was kind of in a state. I piled up like nine or ten trash bags of all these belongings. My backpack. Like, am I going to be climbing mountains in the next few months? I gave away my KitchenAid standing mixer. (laughs) Am I going to be baking bread? I don't think so. She has surgery right away. They take a big tumor out of her abdomen. And when she recovers, they tell her, you better meet with the head of oncology right away. Your cancer isn't exactly what we thought it was. It's actually this pretty unusual cancer of the appendix. I walked in there and sat down and I said, so I have appendix cancer. What's the treatment for that? And he goes, there is no treatment for your disease. And even if there were, they wouldn't pay for it. And Lori's like, huh, even if there were, they wouldn't pay for it. Huh. That told me that there is a treatment and he knows about it. For me, that's like waving a red flag in front of a bull. Because Lori Todd did not want to die, but she especially did not want to be treated like a chump. This is An Arm and a Leg, a show about why healthcare costs so freaking much and what we can maybe do about it. I'm Dan Weissman. I'm a reporter and I like a challenge. So my job on this show is to take one of the most enraging, terrifying, depressing parts of American life. And that's right. I'm claiming it. I see you there, climate change. I said what I said. And bring you a show that's entertaining, empowering, and useful. And of course, talking about our incredibly awful healthcare industrial complex can leave a lot of us feeling hopeless. What the hell are we going to do? How can we protect ourselves and each other? Lori Todd has some lessons. And even if you're not in a life or death situation right now, and I hope very much that you are not, her lessons for us have broad application. As she'll tell us, they go beyond healthcare. So back to her story. We should actually rewind to a couple days before she meets with the oncologist. We start with that call where they tell her she's got a cancer of the appendix. I said, okay, give me the full name. He said, pseudomyxoma peritonei. So that was Friday, and I immediately got on the computer. I went straight to PubMed and started reading scientific articles. And by the time the weekend was over, I knew what I had, what treatment I needed, and what the chance of beating this cancer really was. So when this oncologist tells her there's no treatment, she already knows better. (sighs) He was giving me percentages of recurrence and how long it'd be before it grew and all this. And I said, so how many appendix cancer patients have you treated? And he goes, two. And I'm thinking, 
You're making all these prognostications from a population of two? I don't think so. She goes home, gets back online, finds 20 surgeons around the country who actually do the treatment she needs, and she writes letters to all of them, lays out her whole story. I said, surely you know more than these doctors in Seattle. Can you help me? And two days later, the phone started to ring. It was those surgeons. 16 of them called her back. I learned something important, that I could write something and make things happen. I also learned that there are two different kinds of doctors. The ones who worked at my HMO and didn't give a rat's patoot. And the ones who would talk to me for an hour for free. Very first one was a guy from North Dakota. Uh, This doctor said to me, let me tell you, he says, if you do what the HMO told you to do, let me tell you what's going to happen to you. Their plan was nothing. Wait and see. He said, you do that, your cancer's going to come back. It's going to require another surgery in maybe eight months. And then it will come back faster. Eventually, you'll wind up with a huge abdomen, bowel obstructions, and you'll die of starvation in the nursing home. I didn't really need to be scared straight, but, you know, it helped. It's the truth. She also heard from the surgeon who invented the treatment she needed, Paul Sugarbaker in Washington, D.C. They scheduled a consultation. She was broke, hadn't been able to work since that first surgery, so she borrowed frequent flyer miles, flew to D.C., met the doc, and scheduled surgery for six weeks out. That gave her six weeks to get her insurance to pay for the surgery, which she knew was going to be an uphill climb. I had probably the crappiest, cheesiest insurance plan you could possibly have. I had an individual, catastrophic plan with a $16,000 deductible. And it was an HMO, stands for Health Maintenance Organization. It's insurance where basically you pay them less every month, but in general, you only get to see providers that are on their approved list. Lori's insurance did not exactly have the longest list. It was a funky local HMO, and they had no intention of paying for any kind of surgeon in Washington, D.C. So yeah, uphill climb. Friends came over to console her. Nobody thought that I would win. These friends sat around like making big puppy dog eyes and and crying and everything. Not Lori. She was like, figuring this out is my job now. Write the document that's going to save my life which was actually something she had done a version of before. Not actual life or death, but she'd been up against a wall. This was 20 years earlier. She'd been married, and her husband had died after a motorcycle crash, and he left a $50,000 life insurance policy. And, you know, after he died, I I could not deal with that money. It seemed like blood money. I just couldn't do it. And the insurance company said, hey, that's cool. We'll hold on to it for you, and we'll send you interest on it every quarter. And they did. After a year, Lori withdrew the money and invested it somewhere else. And the next quarter, she got another interest check. So I called them up and I and I said, I've withdrawn my money. Why are you sending me interest? And somehow she said, no, no, that's yours. You're supposed to keep it. And of course, I was very poor. You know what I mean? I mean, I was really dirt poor. I really needed that money. So I kind of Okay, and kept it. This went on for an entire year. She called them every quarter, and every quarter they said, no, no, that's yours. You keep it. Until. The last day of the year, I got a telegram saying, we paid you $5,000 by mistake. You must pay it back immediately. I mean, I didn't have it. (laughs) She started by looking for help. I went to a local lawyer in a box, you know, just a lawyer office on the street. 
And I explained the situation, and he, he laughed at me. He said, what do you want me to do, tell you how to pay the money back? It's not your money. And that had the same effect that that chief of oncology saying there is no treatment and they won't pay for it. <laughs> I am offended. You are not going to do this to me. So I had no idea how I was going <laughs> to pull this off. But I came home and wrote a letter. And she knew she was a good writer. She'd been valedictorian of her high school class, Phi Beta Kappa in college, without, she says, studying a whole lot. She knew she was good in a pinch. And she'd been a teacher, so she had experience convincing people, young people, determined people, unreasonable people, to do what she needed them to do. She had all that. And she had something else. Ammunition from the calls she'd made to the life insurance company. Here's the key. I kept a record of who I spoke to and when I spoke to them. Yeah, she had that. So she put everything to work in that letter. I kind of balanced it between being a grieving widow, so vulnerable, and also this person on this date told me I could keep it. That person on that date told me I could keep it. And I got the call a few days later and they said, you can keep the money. I just love this so much. And I shouldn't have won it. It wasn't my money. And I filed that knowledge away. And um, that's where it started. So that trigger was this kind of arrogant contempt. Yes. <laughs> or was just treating treating me like a chump or treating me like an idiot or, yeah. you know. And, and I realized I was smarter than that guy and I was going to prove it. And here was this doctor, the oncologist, telling her the same thing. You'll never beat this. There's no treatment. And even if there were, they would never pay for it. She was not about to let that guy win and then fucking die. I would have felt like the world's biggest chump because yeah. it didn't have to be. I couldn't let that happen either. So getting this insurance company, the HMO, to do what she needed them to do, that was now her job. And she went at it full time. I went to the library and sat on the floor and read an entire shelf of Washington state insurance regulations. I learned everything there was to know about this HMO because they were my worthy opponent. And here's one thing she learned. Her funky local HMO was connected with a much bigger outfit, Kaiser Permanente. When Lori found Kaiser in the mix with her HMO, she had an idea. Had Kaiser ever paid for the surgery she needed? That's what we call precedent. And Lori wasn't a lawyer, but she knew she had to think like one. I had to build a case proving that they needed to pay for it per the terms of the contract. She got back online, went to the patient groups for people with her kind of cancer, and found three people who had gotten Kaiser to pay for the surgery she needed. That was it. She wrote it all up, her whole story, 23 pages. She hit them with the science, why this treatment was necessary, why this doctor had to be the guy to do it, and with the precedent. Kaiser had a history of saying yes to this procedure. Why should they treat her differently? I found a few important people to send it to at the HMO. And three days later, they called me. Well, uh, um, we decided to pay. So a few weeks later, I borrowed frequent flyer miles again and flew to Washington, D.C. for my surgery. And as far as she knew at the time, that was it. And that was plenty. The surgery was 14 hours. The procedure includes chemo, so add that to the wear and tear. Lori was in the hospital for six weeks after surgery. She calls it the cancer gulag. And lucky for her, she had friends who took her in afterwards. When I came out of the hospital, I was like the 100-year-old woman in a wheelchair, too weak to brush my teeth. 
I thought, I think I'm going to be sitting in front of their television watching Home and Garden Channel for the next five years. That's what she was doing at home in her pajamas when something happened. This guy called me on the phone. His name was Bob. He'd heard about her victory from an online cancer support group, wondered if she could help him. So Lori wrote up a big document and Bob lost. But he still had one more shot, an in-person hearing. I said, you know what? I'm going to write you a speech. And I'm going to teach you how to give a speech. You know, a speech is like the Gettysburg Address. It has to make them feel something. Now, Lori had never actually given a speech, but she'd been a teacher. She'd worked a room. She wrote Bob a speech. She ran him through it all on the phone. Bob's in Pennsylvania. He calls her just before he goes into the hearing. She waits by the phone, pins and needles, and he calls her on the way out. And he said, Lori, I went in there with my head held high. He said, I saw a little tear in one of their eyes. He said, I knew I had him. Four hours later, she says, the approval came through. And after that, there were just a lot more people where Bob came from, people with her kind of cancer seeking the same treatment she'd gotten. And for the first year and a half, she didn't charge anybody a fee, even though she was just barely keeping body and soul together. It took months for her to get disability. That was its own appeal process. Her sister gave her a few hundred bucks a month. She drew on savings. Eventually, she started charging what she calls a modest fee. She wrote a book, How to Fight Your Health Insurer and Win, got a foundation grant to cover the publication costs, learned to get herself booked as a speaker at local libraries. She got a fee, and she sold books there, too. Built a website. Soon, it's not just people with her particular cancer who are calling, looking for help. I've written appeals for brain tumors, organ transplants, craniofacial surgery for babies, one of my favorites with a super high-tech artificial limb. And it isn't even just for diseases. These are just strategies to hack through a bureaucracy. I've used these strategies against the bank, the IRS, the store, <laughs> Social Security disability. Right. You know, yeah. they should be taught in every high school in the land. So we should get into what some of her strategies are. That's right after this. This episode of An Arm and a Leg is produced in partnership with Kaiser Health News. That's a nonprofit newsroom that covers healthcare in America. Kaiser Health News is not affiliated with the healthcare giant Kaiser Permanente. We'll have a little more information on Kaiser Health News at the end of this episode. So, okay, what are Lori Todd's strategies? She's now been doing this for more than 15 years. She's written a second book. It would take a whole season to outline everything, which I would not mind doing. But for an overview, a sample, we should start where she starts. The first thing that I say to people when I'm working with them is I say, no appeal was ever meant to lead to an approval. This is not a good faith process. She says no tips or tricks will do you any good unless you understand this first. If you think it's a good faith process, the first person you ask for help is the insurance company. Yeah, no. The insurance company is not there to help you. They are your worthy opponent. Don't take anything they tell you at face value. Don't accept their rules. So that's one. And if an appeal isn't a good faith process, what is it? Every insurance appeal is a contractual dispute. They don't care if you need the treatment. It's not anything clinical. It's a contractual dispute. And the only thing they care about is, do we have to pay for it per the terms of your contract? Thinking this way was part of how she won her own appeal, right? Not by being a lawyer, but thinking like one. And to dig a layer deeper here, she says the contract isn't just your benefits booklet. 
It's the denial letter. It's their medical policy statement for the treatment. It's every word they say to you on the phone if you've got their name and the date. Every word that comes out of them is part of your contract. Let's not lose this part here. It's every word they say to you on the phone if you've got the name and the date. Remember, this is part of how she won with the life insurance company all those years ago. If you've got the name and the date, they're on the record. And the cool thing about it is they spew out so many words that you have a whole lot to take issue with. (laughs) Because they're not as smart as I am. (laughs) Yeah, that laughter, that confidence. They point to Lori Todd's next principle about the nature of this conflict. She calls it a game. It's a strategy game. They have strategies, and my strategies have to be better than their strategies. One strategy she used in her own case and now uses every single time, go straight to the top. There's no law that says that you can't find the higher-ups and contact them directly, and all of a sudden you're a VIP. Getting to those people, hacking the bureaucracy, takes work. It takes strategy. She writes about it a lot in her second book. Like how you ferret out these people and how you approach them, it's, it's part of the fun, really. I mean, I love this, but that kind of confidence doesn't exactly come naturally to all of us. She says when she works with people on their appeals, she often has to coach them into it. I say, you don't have to feel that way. Just pretend you're that way. I said, if you're that scared to get on the phone, pretend you're somebody who, pretend you're me. I'm not scared of these fools. (laughs) I asked her, were you always this fearless? She said, absolutely not. She knew she was smart, but she wasn't fearless until she needed to be. I had a lot of insecurities, but somehow just the whole experience of the crazy, scary cancer, the insurance company is definitely not going to pay, no money, no resources. And somehow this whole thing rose up in me that I'm just going to do everything. And, And as it turned out, I wasn't afraid of anybody. That's not exactly a tip, but it is also kind of the whole thing. Lori Todd says her favorite thing anybody she's worked with ever said about her is, this isn't about insurance. This is about life. She hears from people who worry they'll never master all the tricks in her 300-page book. But I'm overwhelmed and I can't do that. If you only did 10% of what I do, you'd be much more likely to win it. I don't think we've gotten to 10% of things here. So we'll be coming back to Lori Todd next time. And she will bring us back to an idea we talked about last time, this giant open secret that Lori Todd calls the biggest scandal in health insurance, because... Not usually really fighting insurance companies. I'm fighting employers. That's because, like we talked about in our last episode, if you get your health insurance from work, the insurance company probably isn't really insuring you. Your employer is paying them to administer your insurance plan. But it's your employer who's actually paying out. And as Lori Todd says, that means they're ultimately deciding which bills to pay. You have to know that or you don't know who's making the decision. It's like you're barking up the wrong tree. Next time, we'll hear how she learned that and what she did next. But I've got a piece of news today. Right now, in November and December, we've got a big opportunity. We get to be part of a project called Newsmatch. The Institute for Nonprofit News has pulled together a fund to match any donation you make to this show from now through the end of the year. And if you make a monthly donation, they will match a whole year's worth. Pledge five bucks a month. They will give us 
12 months worth of that, 60 bucks up front. It's a huge deal. We got to be part of Newsmatch last year, and thanks to your generosity, it's made a huge difference. For one thing, it allowed me to bring on Emily Pisacreta, first as our intern and now as our associate producer. Emily's work behind the scenes has allowed us to make our reporting a lot deeper this year. And for another, it's allowed me to create a project I am super excited to tell you about. One thing we get asked for a lot is, can you pull together the practical things we've been learning like all in one place? And I've always been like, yes, we should totally do that. And I've always been like, yeah, when am I going to do that? Where am I going to find the time? The answer is now. Starting this week in our newsletter, which is getting a new name, First Aid Kit. Because... With our awful world of healthcare, what we really need is like a level one trauma center, or at least a well-staffed ER, which we're not getting. But what we can have is a first aid kit and training on how to use it. I hope you like it, and I hope you're going to pass it around. Even if this isn't something you need right now, you probably know somebody who could use it. First aid kit will come out on Tuesdays, starting next week. If you're not on our list, I hope you'll sign up at armandalegshow.com slash newsletter. And tell a friend, armandalegshow.com slash newsletter. And we're able to do this. I've been able to hire an editor to help make it happen. Been able to pay Emily to do work that allows me to take time to write it because you've been supporting us. And we got big plans for next year. If you like what you're hearing, if you like what we're doing, I hope you'll take this opportunity to help make it happen and to let Newsmatch pitch in to double your contribution and If you make it monthly, they will give us 12 months worth of match. Holy moly. That's armandalegshow.com slash support. armandalegshow.com slash support. Thank you. Until next time, take care of yourself. This episode of An Arm and a Leg was produced by me, Dan Weissman, with help from Emily Pisacreta and edited by Marion Wang. Daisy Rosario is our consulting managing producer. Adam Raimunda is our audio wizard. Our music is from Dave Weiner and Blue Dot Sessions. This season of An Arm and a Leg is a co-production with Kaiser Health News. That's a nonprofit news service about healthcare in America, an editorially independent program of the Kaiser Family Foundation. Kaiser Health News is not affiliated with Kaiser Permanente, the big healthcare outfit. They share an ancestor, this guy, Henry J. Kaiser. He had his hands in a lot of different stuff, really different. He paved roads, built a big chunk of the U.S. cargo fleet for World War II, made cars, including the Jeep, made aluminum foil. When he died more than 50 years ago, he left half his money to the foundation that later created Kaiser Health News. You can learn more about him and Kaiser Health News at armandlegshow.com slash kaiser. Diane Weber is national editor for broadcast, and Tanya English is senior editor for broadcast innovation at Kaiser Health News. They are editorial liaisons to this show. Thanks to Public Narrative. That's a Chicago-based nonprofit that helps journalists and nonprofits tell better stories for serving as our fiscal sponsor, allowing us to accept tax-exempt donations. You can learn more about Public Narrative at www.publicnarrative.org. And... Big thanks to everybody who supports this show financially. Time to shout out a few folks who've come aboard recently. Thanks this time to Catherine Pomerantz, Joyce Morris, Janet Cochran, AJ, Dr. Gaia Anzel, Lisa Simmons, Tony Burns, Linda Seymour, and Ryan Sweeney. Thank you so much.